Amen, right? Amen. Uh, so my message, our declaration dependence. You know, I came across a, a cute little article here. Someone wrote, only in America, only in America do drugstores make the sick walk all the way to the back of the store to get their prescriptions while healthy people can buy their cigarettes right up front. <laughs> And it says, you know, only in America do we order double cheeseburger, large fries, and then a Diet Coke. <laughs> and, you know, only in America, this is the only place that we leave our vehicles that are worth tens of thousands of dollars in the driveway, and our garages are full of junk. <laughs> and, you know, and if you think about it, only in America do they sell hot dogs in 10 packs and rolls in eight. You know, it's just the, the craziest thing. But then, you know, there are some sad things in America, and uh, I came across something that George Carlin did years ago, and it's called The Paradox of Our Time. He says, you know, the paradox of our time in history is that we have taller buildings, shorter tempers, wider freeways, but narrower viewpoints. We spend more, but we actually have less. We buy more, but we enjoy it less. We have bigger homes, smaller families, more conveniences, but we still seem to have less time. We have more degrees, but less sense. More experts, yet we still have more problems. He goes, we drink too much, we smoke too much, we spend too recklessly, we laugh too little, we drive too fast, we get too angry, we watch TV way too much, and pray way too seldom. We have multiplied our possessions, but reduced our values. We talk too much, we love too seldom, and we hate too often. He goes on to say, we've learned how to make a living, but not a life. We've added years to life, but not life to years. And my his final one, which I love, he goes, we've been all the way to the moon and back, but we have trouble just crossing the street to meet a new neighbor. You know, friends, even though there is, let's face it, a lot of negative things about America, I certainly still believe it is the greatest country in the world. Someone once said, we keep asking God to bless America. Well, he already has. It's our turn. It's our turn to bless America. It's our turn to do something good for this country. We need to do our part in order to bless it. You know, Patrick Henry one of the founding fathers of the United States, his most famous moment, and we're going to read this, came on March 23rd, 1775, when he addressed the Virginia Convention at a dramatic crossroad in American history. And quote, this is what he said, If we wish to be free, we must fight. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. I believe that that is the heart of all the heroes of this country that have died for it. These men and women who have stood in the gap between liberty and tyranny. So I want to talk a little bit about the early history of our nation you know, that I think most Americans don't even know. Here are some things that I think are worth knowing about the roots of our nation, about all the things that are right with America. America was founded by men and women who acknowledged God's supreme rule over men and nations. They weren't perfect. They weren't all devout Christians, but they all acknowledged that God was the supreme ruler over men and over nations. 
Sometimes I would encourage you maybe to go ahead and read again the Declaration of Independence. I mean, I know most of you are familiar with the prologue, right? That goes like this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. They're saying, we want to form a government whose job it is to protect what the creator, the creator of the universe, has given us, this country. Then after listing like 15 or 16 charges they had against the king, they make two more references to God. They go, we therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assembled, and listen to what they say, appealing to the supreme judge of the world. In the Declaration of Independence, they're saying that God is the supreme judge of the world. And then they end their declaration with these words. And for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, that's God, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. The first Continental Congress, friends, was deadlocked. I don't know if you knew this. It was a great, great reading this. They were deadlocked discussing and debating the wording of the Declaration of Independence. I guess they could have never imagined what, what it'd be going up against today, right? I mean, think about this. Well, you're ready for this one. They finally, when they were deadlocked, it was suggested that they all get on their knees, ask God what should be done. And these 55 signers of the Declaration of Independence went to their knees as one man and began to pray and seek the wisdom and the guidance of God. Wouldn't it be wonderful today to see our president, our Congress, our Supreme Court, if they would just get down on their knees like our forefathers did and ask God, what do you want us to do with the situation that we find ourselves in? You know, in Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, 30, he writes that God is looking for someone who will just stand in the gap for what is right. You know, we need a hero. As a matter of fact, it says here, he says, I search for a man among them who would build up a wall and stand in the gap before me and for the land so that I would not destroy it. I didn't find anyone. The people of Israel had turned away from God. They'd become a people of sin and depravity. They had enjoyed freedom and peace as long as they were living and being the nation that God had intended them to be. God said that he could find no one to stand in the gap. God had given them their freedom. Remember, he gave them their freedom from Egypt when they were in bondage. He brought them safely through the desert into the land of flowing with milk and honey. As, but, they, as they, but he watched them squander the rights that God had given them, and he was taking his hand of protection off of them. And because no one would stand up for what was right and true and just, no one would stand in the gap, the nation of Israel and Judea were both eventually defeated and sent into exile to other nations. All of this happened. No one was willing to stand up. Friends, while we honor our heroes, 
for protecting our liberties, which include our religious freedoms, we are in need of people who will stand in the gap for our faith, for our Christian faith. We don't want to go down the same way that Israel went down, the path of destruction. We don't want to go down that path. Because if we do not have brave individuals who are willing to stand in a gap and fight for our faith, can I tell you, the future in this country is going to be very unwelcoming. You think it's unwelcoming now. You know, the Apostle Paul gives us three things. Well, yeah, he gives us three things that we can do to bless this country. The first one is we must pray unceasingly. In 1 Timothy Chapter 2 says, first of all, then, I urge that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made in behalf of all the people, for your kings who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. He's talking about, we want you to pray on behalf of all of our leaders, all the Democrats, all the Republicans. I want you to pray for Putin. I want you to pray for everyone. I want you to pray so that you'll be able to live a tranquil and quiet life. Then he goes and I go, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God and our Savior, who wants all people to be saved. And he wants them all to come to the knowledge of truth. Samuel Chadwick said this, The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless Bible studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He just laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Andrew Murray said this, the man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelism in history. And then Charles Spurgeon, I'd rather teach one man to pray than ten to preach. Friends, I mean, I know you've heard this before, but it's so true. We need to be a people of prayer. If we're going to see any good come to America and into all of our lives. And second, Paul says, you know, we, we, we must live righteously. In 1 Timothy, it says, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Dignity. God wants us to be godly people, okay? Look what Peter says. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, which, right? They may also see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Powerful, right? We must pray unceasingly. We must live righteously. And third, we must eagerly share the gospel. First Timothy says, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. God wants all people to be saved. God wants all people, not just a select few. The sad truth is, you know, most Christians do little or nothing to be witnesses about Jesus and our faith. They really do. While the unbelieving world, am I right, is shouting out its message, many of us go to church but do little outside of church to share about the message of Christ. I read that 95% of all Christians, 95%, never, never try to share the hope and the peace and the freedom that they have in Jesus Christ. So don't miss this. The Lord doesn't expect us to do everything, but he expects us to do something. He expects us to be more alert to the opportunities that are around us to share this wonderful news of Jesus Christ. Came across this story here. One Sunday, 
It said, as they drove home from church, a little girl turned to her mother and said, Mommy, there's something about that preacher's message this morning that I don't understand. And the mother said, Oh, what is it? The little girl replied, Well, he said that God is bigger than we are. He said God is so big that he could hold the world in his hand. Is that true? The mother replied, Yeah, honey, it's, it's true. But Mommy, he also said that God comes to live inside of us. When we believe in Jesus as our Savior, she goes, is that true too? Again, the mother assured the little girl that what the pastor said was true. And with a puzzled look on her face, the little girl asked, well, if God is bigger than us and he lives in us, wouldn't he show through? You know, in 1 Peter it says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. But always do it. And this is the important part here. Sometimes I think we overlook this. But do this with gentleness and respect. Friends, Christ is the only hope for anybody, any country. And we must do whatever we can to bless this wonderful country and those and bless them with the love of Jesus Christ. It's, we, we need to do that. See, our struggle is against ideology, not people. It's against, on this 4th of July, our struggle is against false teaching, false beliefs, these false arguments that just surround us. Jesus told us in Matthew 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. And the Apostle Paul said, I'm amazed. He's talking, to, he's talking to believers. He goes, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting Jesus, deserting him, who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is not just another account, but there are some who are disturbing you, and you want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. The world is full of false teachings, false directions. We're told we must show tolerance. But when we make a statement about our faith, we are called intolerant. Friends, Jesus' statement is straightforward, and it's very, very intolerant. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, we need to be the light of Christ to a world. Let's face it, it's fearful. This world's losing hope. Look at, don't miss this. We need to come together now and make the declaration of dependence, not the declaration of independence. Let me say that again. We need to come together now as a family, as a church, as Christians. Let's make a declaration of dependence. God's not asked us, but he's commanded us. Did you know he's commanded us? He told, I want you to go out into the world, he said. I want you to make disciples of all nations. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that I've commanded you. You see, friends, as children of God, you're, really, you're children of God, you're heirs to the kingdom of heaven. God's given us authority. Sometimes we forget who we are, who our dad is. You know, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 
We will not boast about things done outside our area of authority. We will boast only about what has happened within the boundaries of the work that God has given us, which includes our working with you. God's given you a boundary. Did you touch that? He's given you a boundary. That could be, it, it could just be your family. It could be your neighborhood. It could be where you work. It could be the guys on your tennis team or pickleball or, or golf or whatever it is. He's given you a sphere of influence, okay? You know, you, and maybe you're saying, you know what, Paul? You know, I, I'd like to be salt and light. <laughs> you know, I'd like nothing more than my family or friends to know the hope and peace that they can find in Jesus. But I got to tell you, I'm nervous about saying anything. I mean, what if they ask me a question I can't answer? Well, in Mark, it says this. Don't be worried beforehand about what you're going to say, but say whatever is given to you at that time. For you are not the one speaking. It'll be the Holy Spirit. Look at in Luke 12. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Friends, and I think this is so important, if there's one scripture, I mean, this was highlighted in my Bible. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. I'm going to, this is, those of you that have called on Jesus as your Savior, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, you want to be fulfilled, you want to be satisfied in your life, then walk in the footsteps that God has called us into. The 4th of July is a time to remember those who were diligently and penning the Declaration of Independence. Those who laid the foundation uh, for the liberty and the freedoms that we all walk in today. In our Christian faith, we have those that gave their wealth. They gave their health. And at times, they gave their lives to lay a foundation for our eternal freedom. We find many of them mentioned in the book of Hebrews. I'm going to read just a little bit here from Hebrews 12. It said, Therefore, since we also have this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, Let's just get rid of rid ourselves of every obstacle and that sin, you know, that so easily entangles us. And let's just run with endurance, that race that's set before us, looking only at Jesus, the originator, perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, by the Apostle Paul, Beginning that passage with the word, therefore, he's intentionally calling our attention back to the earlier chapter, in chapter 11, to the heroes of our faith. You know, chapter 11, if you've never read it, it's actually known as the faith chapter, the hero chapter of our faith. You know, I mean, let's look back at the 11th chapter. I want you to notice some names here. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, it goes on and on and on and on. And then in Hebrews 11.32, and, and what more shall I say? Uh, for time will fail me if I tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephediah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, whom by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of, of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. From weaknesses, they were made strong. They became mighty in war, 
put foreign armies to flight. Friends, many of these people were just ordinary individuals. <laughs> okay, ordinary individuals of faith. But God used them to do extraordinary things. Extraordinary. You see, God makes a habit of doing the impossible through people who are not much different than you and me. Don't miss this. The secret of living a life that makes a difference is realizing that it's not what you do for yourself, but rather it's what you allow God to do for others through you. Through you. That's how we make a difference in this crazy country and this gone nuts world that we're in right now. This is how we do this to make a lasting impact. This country was founded on the principles of freedom of religion that were derived from the God of the Bible. Don't miss this. I'm giving you a bunch today. We get our freedom from God. That's where our unalienable rights come from, not the government. Do you see that up there? Put that back up, would you, Pete, if you can? I want to make sure you see that. Our rights don't come from the government, friends. They come from God. We are becoming so concerned that we don't offend anyone that we let our faith get trampled on, okay? For the guise of tolerance. Friends, we need some heroes to stand in the gap for our faith, to model the Christian faith, and be prepared to defend it. The apostle uh, Peter tells us how to do this. He goes, this is what he says, how to stand in the gap. He says, you're supposed to be courageous. He says in 1 Peter, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be in dread. So easy to be intimidated out there today. Yeah, don't fear the intimidation, he says. We should not be afraid of threats from unbelievers. We need to be strong. We need to be courageous. Then he goes on in verse 15, he goes, but he says, here's the heart of the matter. He says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Just get that right. Always being ready. Just make a defense to everyone who asked for you to give an account. Well, why do you have that hope? Well, why do you think that way? How can you have any peace when the world's going upside down and crazy? So you'll be able to give them the reason why you have that hope. With gentleness, though, and there's the big one, with gentleness and respect. This is where it gets hard because you just want to jump on somebody. I can't believe you think that. What is wrong with you? Know, and you start this battle. No, 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 no. With gentleness. Respect. Even if you don't get it back. Peter's saying, share your faith. Tell them about God. You know, there was a little boy who was drawing a picture. His kindergarten teacher asked him what he was drawing. He goes, well, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she says, but no one knows what God looks like. And the little boy says, they will when I get done with the picture. <laughs> They're only going to know who God is through you, friends. You can draw the picture. Share your faith of hope, as Peter stated. There may be a price for standing in the gap, friends. Some will not accept what you tell them. Some will ridicule you and even try to hurt you in some way. I mean, look how Peter ends this section of Scripture in verse 17. He says, For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than for, what you're do what, for doing what is wrong. 
Our military friends, don't miss this, stands in the gap for our freedoms here in this wonderful country. We must stand in the gap for our faith right here in this country and around the world. So in close, we get our freedom, friends, from God. That's our don't miss this. Our independence comes from our dependence on him. I'm going to leave you with this story before we go into communion. Do you know what the tallest structure is in Washington, D.C.? It's the Washington Monument. And by law, nothing taller than the Washington Monument can be built there. And did you know what's inscribed on the pinnacle at the very, very top of the Washington Monument? These words, let God be praised. It's at the very, very top of the Washington Monument. I'm going to tell you, I, I, I bet money on it. There are, le there are legislators that don't know that. There's probably presidents that don't know that. There's probably Supreme Court justices that don't know that. But at the very top, at the pinnacle of the nation's capital of that sitting there is let God be praised. Listen, on this 4th of July weekend, lift up your eyes. Praise God for the greatness and the blessings that he's given us in this country that we live in. But let's pray and move forward so that those who come behind us will find us faithful. Amen? You know, I'm just going to take a moment here. I th this is a perfect time for us to share in communion. So if you've got your elements, let's prepare to do this. Can I encourage you as, as, as we sit in here, let's not forget we're talking about sacrifice. We're talking about freedom in this country and about God being there for each and every one of us. We're here celebrating the ultimate sacrifice, my friends. We're talking about the ultimate independence, the eternal life of your soul into the kingdom of heaven. I mean, this is, this is what we're talking about. You know, on the night that... You know, it's the night before Jesus was crucified. And he's sitting around the table with his followers, you know, and he, and he takes the bread and he breaks it. And he, he says to them, and I'm sure they were confused. He goes, this represents my body. What? Yeah, yeah. This represents my body. And it's going to be broken for you and for you, for you. For you, for all of you listening here right now, he says, do this always in remembrance of me. We've had a lot of men and women who have shed their blood for the freedom in this country. Many. Too many. They did it so we could have freedom here in order to praise the God that we love. But we had a God who sent his one and only son to ensure that we had the freedom as well and that he would shed his blood as well. And that night when Jesus grabbed that cup of wine and he says, this represents my blood. It's the blood of the new and everlasting covenant that's been shed for all of you. Do this always in remembrance of me. You know, I have a special song I want to close with, and I would love for all of you to stand. 
But let me leave you with this, and then after the song, we can certainly all go. It's our turn to bless America. It's our turn, everyone, to do something good. God has and still is blessing us, but we need...